edition of NBA Sound System. Carlin Gay alongside Micah Adams, the biggest Zion Williamson Let's fan go, baby. in the world. And Scott Rafferty, the biggest Luke Cornett fan in the world. Uh, we got Where's plenty to energy? talk you about. you got to keep that I, same I, energy. I guys. don't have the same energy as you, Zion, but we'll, we'll, we'll get to both of them soon. Plenty to talk about on this episode. We will talk about said Luke Cornett and his comparison to an NBA championship NBA legend. What do you mean? NBA legend. Is he a legend? NBA should be Hall of Famer. We'll talk about that at that time. Uh, The Houston Rockets are on an upcoming four-game road trip. How much does that mean to them? Giannis is putting up crazy numbers. We'll let these guys dig a little deeper into that, and should we be paying more attention to him? But we have to start off with the man of the hour, too sweet to be sour, Zion Williamson. Would you like to apologize before we get too far into this? Because we're we're sitting there watching this game last night, and I'm just getting I'm just getting a run of comments from Carlin saying, "Oh, he looks like Michael Sweetney out there," and Eddie Curry's name was thrown around. Yeah, would you like to apologize, or are you or are you, or are you sticking by it? I am off that train, and I'm on I'm back on. As you guys know, I change my mind often when new information does become available. And new information became available <laughs> very, very quickly. Very quickly into the game, so I decided to jump on the old trolling bandwagon, and I, I don't apologize for that. I had fun. To be fair, though, the first three quarters are pretty rough for Zion. They were. Someone that fourth quarter. I won't name names. Went. Someone within our NBA global group said that it was the worst quarter for a number one draft pick of all time. Hot take. It was hot. It was, it was not me, by the way. It yeah, was not me. Was but not. it wasn't great. Um, so through three quarters, he nearly had as many turnovers. He had four turnovers as points, five points. Um, there was a lot of talk about him, you know, trying to force the issue um, in terms of being a passer um, and not kind of playing within the flow of the offense and thinking too much. Right. Um, and that, I mean, that definitely looked like on the court. And then the fourth quarter, he just seemed to leave all that behind and just yeah. play like the Zion we, we knew. and. And I mean, he went absolutely berserk. So, but before we get into the fourth quarter, because because we will, like that's what everyone's talking about. That's the, I mean, that's the story. The first three quarters, in some ways, kind of reminded me of Carmelo's debut with Portland, in the sense that, like, you're looking more for little things he's doing out there that, like, paint the picture of what he can do moving forward, mm-hmm. not necessarily playing the results, right? So, like, in Carmelo's first game, like they got blown out of the they got blown out of the gym when it, whenever he was out there. But they're doing things like posting him up, and you could see him kind of get to his spots. The first three quarters for Zion, it was like grasping for straws, trying to find little inklings of things to feel positive about. Whether it's like his incredible second jump, or right. he had a nice early assist to Brandon Ingram. Right, and you're kind of like looking for like one or two moments that maybe don't like jump out and smack you in the face but are smart observations about, like, this dude is a basketball player. And then, like, just all hell breaks loose in the fourth quarter. You throw all the nuance out, out the window and let's and just hyperbole takes over, and for good reason. To, to your point, by the way, there was, one po- there was one play I wanted to talk about in the first quarter. Um, two and a half minutes in, he ran a pick-and-roll Alonzo ball, got the ball at the elbow, and then he threw a pass to Derek Favors. Um, he thought Derek Favors was going to be in the corner. He threw it out of bounds, and Derek Favors was making cut to the basket. It was a turnover, but it's plays like that where you can really, really see his value. Because if you freeze frame it when he gets the ball, there are three defenders immediately around him, and Brandon Ingram is wide open on the wing, and then, again, Favors is wide open on the baseline. And it's those things, like those passes. He's shown that he can be a good passer, so he's going to make those reads as he gets more comfortable. Um, and there was actually another one 
I think it was in the first quarter, maybe the second quarter, where he got called for a charge. Um, and someone was, I think it may have been each one more, was wide open on the wing. Um, and again, it's just like, he, like you're saying, Micah, there were little things that you could have picked up going into that fourth quarter. Um, and the very first play of the game. That too. Right? Yeah, like I mean, Zy- or, uh, Lonzo Ball drives, draws th- literally three guys, and then Derek Favors is just, just wide open, like yeah. at the rim. And like that's something that he's not Zion's not going to get credit for, but like that was not happening before he was out there. It felt it was it was a set play for Zion. Like that was supposed to be a lob. That was supposed to be a dunk for Zion. Spurs knew it was coming. I mean, Popovich read that. Spurs knew it was coming. They knew that was coming. They they cut it off. And like you said, Zion won't get credit for an assist or anything, but just his mere presence on the floor opened up the door for Derek Fazers. The bigger picture here is Zion gave 22 points, uh, you know, uh, seven rebounds, three assists. He had a bunch of turnovers. A lot of that was before he really got his legs under him. When he started to get going and when he had that explosion in the fourth quarter, you really saw what he is capable of doing on the floor. They lost the game. That's the bigger picture. They lost the game. But let's talk about Zion specifically and dig deeper into kind of what you guys took away from his performance because I like many on the East Coast. We we live in Charlotte, North Carolina, guys. We we are on the East Coast. I like many went to bed at halftime. I, I watched that that first half. I saw Zion kind of really laboring out there. He wasn't in shape. We can get to all that, but it, it just seemed like he was rusty. Granted, he hasn't played basketball in, in, in about three months, anything meaningful, and he's stepping into the NBA season where everybody's in shape. Everybody's ready to go, and also the Pelicans had a rhythm without him, and now you drop this this dominant player right on top of them, and they were. it, it seemed like they were forcing to try and get in the rock, and that's not the way to really uh, bring someone into the fold. You kind of just have to play basketball and let it happen, and that's what we saw later on in the fourth quarter, which I'm sure we'll get to. But I went to bed at halftime, and it wasn't until I woke up this morning that I realized that I missed one of the greatest quarters possible from a rookie in NBA history. And uh, watched, I'm fresh. I actually watched it three minutes ago. I just watched <laughs> it, uh, and it was fun. It was a ton of fun. Uh, and to me, two things stuck out. One, they got to find a way to play him with the most amount of shooters possible. And I know the one thing everybody's saying is he has to play the five. I, I don't think he has to play the five proper. I think you do need to find more minutes for him with uh, uh, Nicola Melli because Nicola Melli is a great shooter. Um, and and if you're going to play a, another big next to him, it has to be a big that's going to be able to stretch the floor, whether that's Melli or whether that's uh, going out and finding someone before the the February sixth trade deadline, that I think is the best case scenario. I don't I don't mean it has to be done today, tomorrow, but eventually when he becomes what he's supposed to become, you have to find a way to put shooters around him, just it's, like Giannis and, and everybody else I, uh, expects. I think it's really interesting you mentioned Melly because I was I was listening to the Woj Pod on the drive into work today, mm. and he's talking with David Griffin last night. He talked to Zion and and David Griffin now Jim Gentry after the game, and Griffin singled out. Melly and Lonzo Ball as the two guys that they really saw benefiting the most from Zion prior to him getting hurt. And he mentioned that those were the two guys impacted the most by a Zion's injury. Like Melly's skill set is is perfect yes. for exactly the type of guy that you would want to put around Zion. And look, the, I'll say almost perfect. The, almost o- perfect. the only thing, offensively, yes. No, well, Defensively, sure. yeah. Right. Yeah. But but Zion's really good defensively. You know, he Zion finished with with three dimes last night. Yes, easily could have been six or seven. 
right? Mm-hmm. And and one of the things that jumped out to me was, you're right, like the trepidation at times he looked, those first three quarters, like he just didn't want to step on anyone's toes. Yes. It was like, okay, I'm going to try to make the right basketball play. These guys are, are in a rhythm without me. Uh, you know, let me let me just do what I can within the flow of it. But then you would see when he would when he would kick out or when like Scott's talking about he would he would draw some defenders in. Guys all over the floor were just clanking shots and missing badly. Mm-hmm. Not not just wasn't one of those nights where the ball wasn't going in. Like Brandon Ingram and Josh Hart and even JJ Reich. I mean, there were there were air balls, there were shots hitting the wrong side of the backboard. Like it looked like just the whole team top to bottom wasn't quite sure what to do or how to play. Right. And, and then, you know, when you see them sort of get uh, caught up in, in the fourth quarter and they just started playing and not thinking, that's when things really started to click. He's not going to go four for four from three every night, uh, obviously, as as he did uh, in the fourth quarter there. But I, but I think just once they get more comfortable playing with him, you're going to see this team become – I just – they're going to be trouble. They're going to be really good. I want to make my second point before we get too far down the Zion rabbit hole and give you a second to, to respond to that. The other thing that I, that stuck out to me hugely before we get to some of the negatives is Lonzo Ball really was a star last night without without really standing out. If you didn't – I mean, the times he was on the floor next to Zion, he, just, he was like a security blanket for Zion. He just made Zion feel – comfortable and that is incredible to see that's what Lonzo is like that's the greatness of Lonzo Ball is that he does just the little things that makes everybody around him better I mean when Zion got rolling a lot of that was because defenses were you know the defense was just sagging off of him allowing him to shoot three but it was Lonzo that was paying attention to that and making sure that Zion got the pass where he needed to get it in his in a shooting pocket, there there wasn't anything for Zion to think about. It was just catch and shoot, and that's just Lonzo being a great point guard. And and I think that Lonzo's greatness and and his 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 real gifts showed last night playing next to Zion Wilson. And it helps that his jump shot looks so much better this year than Lonzo's. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, his shot, his release, and everything like that. Um, I mean, we've talked a lot about Lonzo in the office even before the season, and I think most of us have been fans of his um, just because it is the little things that he does on the court that impact winning and things like that. Um, but he just didn't, at the start of the season, he didn't quite make that jump that we were expecting. He seems like he's he's comfortable now. He's been fantastic over the what, last like three or four weeks. Yeah. Um, I mean, you look at his last 12 games. So he had 14, 12, and 8 last night. Uh, also three of six from three, which might be the most important part of it. His last 12 games, he's putting up a 16, nine and eight while shooting 39% from three. Yep. Like, I don't know. I, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that he's Jason kid, but like the, the type of player that he is and the impact that he has. And just like Carlin, you're right. Like knowing the right times, the right spots to get guys, uh, distributing the wealth, just great two way player. He's opportunistic in the open floor. Like, there are there are signs of a Jason Kidd type of player. I'm not gonna sit here and say he's gonna be, mm-hmm. you know, what top six point guard of all time, but like you can see, you can see watching Lonzo play exactly the type of guy that they envisioned when they uh, when they got him in that. It's the ability shoot. of realizing who needs a shot and where they yeah. need it, and he has that without you know. The, there was the the second one when Lon, when uh, right before Zion checked out. They're running. They're running up the court. Alvin Gentry is yeah. begging them to call a timeout, and Lonzo said, "No, this guy's rolling. I'm going to get him a look." 
and that's Lonzo Ball's greatness. I, I granted, obviously, you want you don't want your guys to look off your coaches, but he's in the game. He can feel it. He can feel the momentum. He can feel his team kind of rallying around Zion. He knows that three people checked into the scores table to try and take the guy the guy out of the game. And had he missed one of those threes, he would have been sitting on the bench. But Lonzo said, "You know what? Sorry, Alvin. I'll I'll, I'll run the suicides in practice, but we need to get this guy one more look." And I, like we were talking about, I think Lonzo is going to benefit greatly from playing next to Zion. You know, as they progress the rest of the season, everything like that. The Spurs actually did a really good job, I thought, of keeping the Pelicans out of transition yesterday. Sure. Um, but it's going to be very difficult for teams to do that when Zion is playing, you know, normal minutes and everything like that. <laughs> Let them get in shape. <laughs> well, exactly. But then the, the two of them running up and down the court, I mean, they can both rebound. They can both right. um, push the ball. They can both pass. Um, it's going to be very difficult to keep this team. And they have, they have you know, other young guys and things yeah, like that. So... so the other guy that we got to talk about in relation to playing with Zion is Brandon Ingram. I, I, before you go there, because I feel like that's a negative, I want to I hear yeah. the positives you guys found from Zion's first game. I, I, I just, all around, um, I mean, he, the guy never hit four threes in a game at Duke. The fact that he's <laughs> showing a willingness to shoot them. I'm waiting for you to We're sh- not, no, I'm, kill I'm, Ben Simmons. No, I'm not going to start killing Ben Simmons. Why not? Because uh, I don't. It's fun. It's too easy. Yeah, it's no, low-hanging fruit. I mean, we'll just say he made more threes in 18 minutes than Ben Simmons has in his entire career last night. And it doesn't have to do with ability. A, a ben, low, Simmons is every, shot. ben Simmons is every bit as good of a shooter as Zion Williamson. You just won't shoot it. Right. I just I liked Zion's, you know, San Antonio sitting there daring him. Shoot it once. Yeah. Shoot it twice. Shoot it three times. Shoot it a fourth time. And even that, that the first three he hit were incredibly wide open. Wide that, open. Yeah. That fourth one, like... He I mean, made he was, a little jab step. He was, I mean, he was feeling was, at that point. He, he was, was feeling, feeling it. But, yeah. I mean, even there, like, it's a little jab step, a little step back. Like, it, it wasn't – that's not, like, a set shot with no one mm-hmm. within 15 feet of him. Mm-hmm. It is I'm just, just saying I, I appreciate the willingness to do that because if, like, Joel Embiid has the slowest pump fake in NBA history when he shoots threes and guys still jump at that, if guys even move a half a step on a, uh, respecting a Zion pump fake, it is over. So that guy is going to dunk on everybody. So that's the thing. It's not he doesn't necessarily have to be a high volume three point shooter. Correct. Um, but if he ever gets to the point where I mean this, this is what everyone was saying when he was coming to the NBA. If he ever gets to a point where teams have to respect and they can't just leave him wide open and they have to close out that little bit closer than they were last night. Yeah. I mean he's just so explosive. He has a quick first step. If he gets anywhere on the basket, he's taken off. Um, trying to dunk on guys, drawing fouls. That was another thing last night. Um, there were a couple times where he attacked the basket. Uh, and he's just going to be a foul drawing machine. I think he finished. I want to say he finished with the third or fourth most free throws um, in the league in preseason. He tied someone like Giannis or something like that. I can't remember exactly, but just the way that he plays and how physical he is, he's going to draw fouls and live at the free throw line. Um, and whether or not he can, can he can hit those at a high rate um, remains to be seen yeah. and everything. But I mean, he's just that. That's another part of his game that he already has I'm, I'm, that's going to yeah. help him get easy. He points. got there four times last night. Shot fifty percent from the line. I'm happy. I'm happy you you mentioned the name Giannis because I had written down. So he had he had forty six touches in eighteen minutes mm-hmm. last night. You you prorate that over you know like touches per minute. It's basically identical to the the volume with which Giannis touches the ball from Milwaukee. Finished the game with a team high usage rate of uh, just over forty. Obviously, much higher in the fourth <laughs> right. quarter. Right. A lot of that early was the turnovers as well. It wasn't like a High usage because he's looking to score all the time. He 
you know, was having some issues holding onto the ball. But you could you could very clearly see that when he's on the floor, he just he does so much and he controls so much attention of a defense. Like he's going to be front and center of what they do moving forward. What's he just your pos- is. What's what stuck out to you as a positive, Scott? Before we get to some of the negatives from uh, Zion's debut. I mean, I mean, just the stuff that we've been talking about in terms of like before the fourth quarter, I thought there were a couple things that showed just how like his gravity when he's on the court, right? Um, just because he's so explosive, and you know, if he can knock down threes, not that he's going to knock down four a game, he might. We might honestly not see him knock down four a game the rest of the season. I wouldn't be surprised if we didn't. Um, but just continuing to show that he's willing to take those shots, because mm-hmm. the thing is, what's crazy about him is. So they were daring him to shoot those threes. And then he had that one possession in the fourth quarter where DeMar DeRozan was guarding him. DeMar's not like a small guy or anything, but Zion just immediately went to the block, um, established himself in the paint, and they just threw an alley-oop to him, and it, yeah. was, it was easy. Like that that, was, that it shouldn't Lonzo, have been that, that easy. That was Lonzo's yeah, pass. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But head. he can just, he's just so strong, even against like, you know, a, a shooting guard small forward who's like 6'6", like DeMar, just rise over him, get an easy layup. Like he's just going to manufacture, and that's something we talked that, about a couple weeks ago. And that's, he's just going to yeah. get easy points. Like it's very easy for him to score because he's a great cutter. He hits the glass. His second jump is ridiculous. I'm, yeah, like I'm that one. He, I'm glad you set the second jump. Yeah, right? that one when he got. Um, there's one when he got blocked by Jakob Pertl. Um, and just snatched the rebound immediately, just went up before anyone else it seems like could even that, like, get on the ground. That and, was and a play that got him going right before, right before he started knocking down the threes. That was the yeah. that was the bucket that he started flexing a little bit, and the crowd started exactly. getting in the game. Um, he also I mean, had all, him, he every also, single one of the twos. His first basket was an offensive rebound with the second jump, the one with hurdle, even the alley oop. I believe he came down with it and went right back up with it. Mm-hmm. The, um, the one of the Rosen. The, the one no, of the I, I think he, I don't he went think straight he, up with it. Yeah, I think he went straight okay. up with it. But I I don't know like I I think the the DeRozan the DeRozan um, sort of that that post up in transition speaks volumes as to the importance of this team running because yeah. if they if they run and they smell blood and they get every single opportunity even if it's for a second break like I don't know what you do if you have to switch a smaller guy onto this because they're gonna do that every time they're just yeah. he's just gonna oh I have a guy that's my same height. I'm just going to run to the block and Lonzo's going to throw it up and nobody can jump with me. So this is probably a good point to talk about. Um, Are we going for the negatives here? No, I was going to talk about him playing center. Okay. Because um, that's a big thing that people kind of came away because when he was doing that run, he was playing center. Um, and it's interesting because it, like you were saying, Colin, I don't know if his future is a full-time center. I, I just don't know. I don't think that's going to work. Um, but we saw in preseason that he can certainly play center, mm-hmm. uh, especially against some. I mean, he played he played center against Rudy Gobert in preseason a couple times. Um, was able to get to the basket, um, kind of bully him a little bit. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I think I think the closing lineups, the best closing lineup for the Pelicans probably with will be him at the five with a bunch of rangy long wings. But I don't think you should play him the majority of his time at center. I think I that just that. puts him in a situation where he can get into foul trouble. You're beating him up, you know, having to guard, and, and, and you're putting him in positions where he's going to be guarding a lot of pick and roll. He's better off the ball as a defender to, to, to protect the rim, weak side at Duke. I mean, he was blocking shots off the weak side all the time. That one against Virginia is still one of the most outrageous blocks yeah. I've ever seen in my entire <laughs> that, life. That's nuts. But but there he, he had, you know, Javin Delorier play five. He had, I mean, Jack White, air quotations, 
played the five. Dude, that's my guy, Jack White. He's your guy now? No, he's definitely. Not I know we have guy. a lot of listeners out in Australia, but he's. The, I don't. Know, I wouldn't go he's far. He's definitely as not my guy. <laughs> but he had guys that played there, uh, played the five there to kind of protect him from having to guard the bigger players constantly. But the best lineups, when it came down to it, he was the five in those situations. Yeah, I expect that to be the same. I also the think, and and this is you know, but right before we dig into the Ingram part, like playing the five will help Brandon Ingram. Like yes. I think one of, one of the biggest components of Ingram sort of blossoming into this all-star caliber player is the fact that he's become so much more comfortable uh, attacking the rim and, and pick and roll and splitting defense and his finishing inside is great. That's obviously much easier if Zion's at the five pulling away whoever the other team's biggest body is. Just think of all the driving lanes that that opens up for Brandon Ingram inside because, you know, Favors isn't down there with, with another help body. So I, I just I, I agree with you. I, and, I think the the thought of Zion at the five is, and I, that's what ESPN's uh, draft expert Mike Schmitz before the draft even before he even got drafted was right. saying like, this guy's future might not be as a five, but this guy at his best will be as a five. I mean, not not to compare him to Draymond Green because I know a lot of people have done that, and it, he's a very different player. But that's what Draymond Green's been his entire career, right? Like he's always been at his best as a five, but he doesn't mm-hmm. play that all the time. There's a reason why Golden State is unstoppable with him at the five. Right, but it's but even like right. during their best years, he wasn't their full-time center, sure. is, is all it is. The blueprint's there, though, for like for what Zion could be doing at his peak, and that's to follow the Giannis blueprint, right? Like it, Giannis, his best would be at the five, but because Brooke Lopez shoots the ball from three-point range as well as he does – and can go back to the other end and still defend at a high level where, where he's rim protecting. It, it just allows Giannis to do something like Rome as a defender. It allows him to attack the paint so much more because it's not clogged up. I think that's the blueprint for Giannis to be successful. I agree. Zion, but yeah. I agree. You said Giannis. But oh, you yeah, Zion. Zion. Yeah. Yeah, Giannis is pretty successful. He's pretty successful. He's all, he's we'll we'll, right we'll get to that. Uh, let's talk about some of the negatives because uh, you brought up Brang Ingram, and I think that is a negative. I'll get to that. I'll let you have the focus. So, I mean, it, look, it's, it's obviously one game. They're going to figure it out. Uh, Zion played 18 minutes last night. In the 11 minutes without Brandon Ingram, which included that incredible fourth quarter, scores 19 points in 7 of 9 shooting. In the 7 minutes he's on the floor with Ingram, you know, he, he took two shots. He had three turnovers. The leading scores uh, for the Pelicans in those 7 minutes were Ingram with 7, Favors with 7, Zion with 3. I don't think one time, unless I'm missing something, I don't think we saw a single, uh, you know, high-low action with with Ingram and Zion. I don't. I don't think we saw them play any semblance of a two-man game, unless it was one of the ones resulting in Zion turning it over because he didn't quite know what to do or mm-hmm. looked a little bit lost. Uh, you know, they'll figure it out, but I think very clearly you could see the two of them being very uncomfortable with not wanting to step on each other's toes. Yeah, and I, but I, I'm not necessarily worried about it. Like no. you're saying, I think that's just going to come. So even though it was a bad game for Ingram, I'm, I'm, not, um, I'm not overly concerned about it. And to build off of what you were saying earlier, one thing I feel like Ingram's done this season that's not getting enough attention um, is his passing and how much he's improved in that regard. Uh, he put, that, that jazz game from a week ago where he put up, I think it was like 49 points. Yeah. Obviously, that stole the headlines. He had some beautiful passes to Derek Favors. Three in overtime alone. Yeah, when guys yeah. closed out on him and things like that. And you can see situations like that when Brendingham drives, draws a couple defenders. Zion, as I said, is always already an excellent cutter. Um, so I think the two 
it might not be like absolutely perfect in terms of how their skills match up, but I do think they will be able to complement each other well eventually. Brandon Ingram, though, has always been a great passer. Or sorry, a good passer. Mm-hmm. I think he's been a, he's been a reluctant passer though over the last couple of seasons up until this year, and even this year he's still third in terms of passes made on the team. And obviously you're always going to be behind Lonzo because that boy gives that up like a hot potato and behind Drew Holiday, who's a guard, but he's so far, the gap between those two and Brandon Ingram is so far, you know, lower down. Like Brandon Ingram's best asset is his scoring ability. And I think having him in Zion, I think he needs to figure out, Brandon Ingram needs to figure out how he's going to continue to score at a high clip when he's no longer the go-to guy on the team. Like that was clear to me last night that, Zion isn't the secondary scorer on this team. Brandon Ingram is now the secondary scorer on this team. And when we've seen Brandon Ingram in that role in the past, he hasn't really been able to figure out how he gets his in the best in the best way when both of those players are on the floor at the same time. Last time we saw it with LeBron, we saw it uh, you know, years past uh, when he was with the Lakers. Now he's Zion Williamson is going to be the guy that has a spotlight on him. And Brandon Ingram is going to have to fi- figure out how he gets those shots or his, his looks off of that. Two two things I would say with that is one is I like he's only played one game in, in the NBA, but sure. Zion Williamson is a great teammate. Whenever RJ Barrett would get it going at Duke, nobody's more excited than RJ Barrett. There, there's a there's a picture from their NCAA tournament game where Barrett's going in and dunking, and in the background Zion's leaping like 40, 40 inches in the air. When Cam Reddish would get hot from three, Zion's the 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 first one over. You know, high fiving him as as the opponent's calling a timeout. He's going nuts on the bench. Um, you know, aside from falling asleep in, in Detroit last week, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> so I, I do think that uh, Zion's going to be fine whenever whenever Ingram gets it cooking. He's going to be the first guy to defer to him. I also think, um, you know, given what we've talked about with with Ingram's passing ability and with Zion's passing ability too, uh, I think that they have the potential to be the best pick and roll combination. In the entire league, because I, I think Zion. Slow down. Slow, slow down. Slow no, down. because Zion. Brandon Ingram and Zion are the best pick. Well, relax. Player. Relax. Did I say now or did I say potential? I, I'm just clear. I'm making sure that they it was have the, the right. potential to someday become the best pick and roll combination in the league, because Zion is that good of a passer on the short roll, and he's also the type of player right now in that Jazz game. Right, Ingram makes those three great passes to Favors sure. right. uh, late in the fourth quarter. All of those were they, they were they were great passes. But because of the, the the nature in which Favors plays, like they they have to be timed perfectly. It's got to be right when the second. It's got to be right when the help comes. It's got to be when Favors is ready. Zion is the ultimate security blanket in the sense that you could just kind of throw it up to him. The timing doesn't have to be perfect. He's a good enough passer. We saw it on the touch on the touch pass in the first quarter to Ingram. He's he plays with a high basketball IQ. He's great. He's gonna be great on the short roll. I, I don't know, and I like Ingram's development as a scorer, as a passer. Uh, he's already one of the best pull-up mid-range shooters uh, in the game. I mean, that's how he torched Utah, was it was a steady dose of, I'm going to come off a screen and pull up from 18 feet, and nobody can do anything about it. I mean, I think they can be a very good pick-and-roll combination. I just don't I don't necessarily see them being the best, because I think Neither it speaks more to, like... like could Zion be the best role man in the league? Yeah. I absolutely believe that. Okay. But I still think that, like... 
like for example, Luca in the pick and roll, I don't think there's there might not be in five years time he's gonna be the best pick and roll scorer and passer in the league. And if you just pair him with like a Dwight Powell, for example, although he just went down with a, an Achilles tear or something like that, if I mean I think that ultimately could be a better pick and roll combination just because you have a ball handler who can pass that. To way me, and the, when you when you're talking about pick and roll and two man game, the the most important and in, integral part of that being a good successful duo is the guy who has the ball in his hand and that's, i just don't so that's think, what i was trying to say with luca yeah getting to that point because it's not i a don't pass. think that ingram is going to yeah. get to that level. like zion could be the greatest roller of all time brandon ingram is just not going to get to that level to make him any better but, but either way they, they're gonna they, they have the potential to be one of the best yeah sure um and if you have that i mean pick and roll is basically the most used action in the nba so if you have two guy one guy who can create pretty much any any shot that he wants out of that and is comfortable scoring all three levels and then you have a guy in Zion who can roll, he can pass, he can play above the rim, all that. I mean, that that gives you a very, very solid foundation for a really good offense. And I'm not saying that they're in, they're they're interchangeable, but they're going to be able to run it in both directions too. It's sort of like how a couple years ago, like one of the one of the worst kept secrets in the entire league was the Draymond Steph Curry pick and roll, mm-hmm. and everyone knows that like yeah, Steph as the ball handler, Draymond coming high was the bread and butter, but like. Equally scary was Draymond as the ball handler and Steph as a screener and then popping out. You cannot switch against Zion. So every single time that they run a pick and roll, you're you're immediately yeah, either you're forcing trouble. a four on three, you're forcing the defense to make a decision that they do not want to make ever. Ingram's a good enough catch and shoot guy. I don't know. They're, they're going to be scary. I will, I will that say will that, only though. happen only if there's shooters around. I That's will correct. say, though, the, the, one of the reasons that the Draymond Steph um for one pick and roll is so deadly is because you have a situation where you're either switching a guard onto draymond or you're switching a big man onto steph whereas i think one of the things that you could is going to be different about zion and ingram is you're basically just switching two forwards onto them so i don't think the mismatch is going to be as obvious do you know what i mean like that's fair if you had lonzo ball setting a screen for zion Obviously, he's nowhere near the score that ingram is or anything like that that's going to give you give him more of a mismatch to attack i think the zion ball pick and roll is probably more deadly and it would be more feared in my opinion from opposing uh, coaches because another one by the way jj reddick too he he could uh you dribble know he's told, hand off with JJ dribble handoff but also things Ooh. like him setting screens and then popping off of that because he's also going to be guarded by a guard i didn't feel um, like we saw enough of reddick in zion yesterday well he was questionable to play right. jj came was, off the bench uh, and came off the bench yeah i believe yeah. he has a strained hamstring um or calf it's, it's one or the other so well hopefully he gets healthy because yeah. that's yeah like you that said could be a lot of fun could be a lot of fun there's two do- 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 dookies you, you know you know who has warm you know who has lots of shooters around him don't go there yet are we done with the Zion conversation are we down there no, i don't know i don't know I, I i are we done with ingram because i i i go ahead you seem like you want to say something about ingram so go no, ahead. i don't have anything else to okay. say about ingram i've said what i had to say I, I really don't think i think ingram's gonna have the biggest learning curve i don't think it's an issue i don't think it's a problem i think he has to learn how to be a secondary scorer and i haven't seen him do that yet that's all i had to say about that do you have any negative parts about zion before we move on half an hour later Thing. I think we covered pretty much everything. <laughs> All right. The Zion inju- the Zion injury is going to ultimately end up being the best thing that ever happened in Brandon Ingram's career, though. Because I don't think that Brandon Ingram would have become the player he is right now if Zion is – after Zion did what he did in the preseason, right. there's no way that Brandon Ingram is with a healthy Zion averaging 25 a game and playing with the confidence – so that, I'm on the that, opposite that, side. that this is a problem that they have to work it out yeah. is the best possible problem that the Pelicans could have ever hoped for. And obviously you don't want Zion to ever get hurt and that they would have rather had him playing from day one and there on opening night in Toronto. Mm-hmm. 
But the fact that he missed 40 or 40 games or whatever it was allowed Brandon Ingram to be to reach this level that I'm not sure he would have reached uh, had Zion been healthy. And look, and now moving forward, they have I, potentially two perennial all-stars. I'm on the opposite end of that. I'm on the end that that actually hurts Brandon Ingram because he put himself now in a situation where he believes he's an all-star and will be a little bit hesitant to take a step back. As long as Zion is there, Brandon Ingram will never be the man. No, but they'll figure and it out. And he was the fine. man for 39 games before they play, before playing with Zion in his 40th game of the season. He has to figure but it you out. I don't ha- think they have to figure you gotta it out. Have, he has to figure it out. But you got to have two guys that are the man to win in sure. today's NBA. I just and don't they got know two that, of them now. I just don't know that Brandon Ingram thinks he will, he's a 1B. I think he thinks he's a 1A, and that's a problem. But I'll I will say out. this too. Zion, as I said before, is so good at playing off ball, not necessarily as a shooter, but the way that he cuts, the way that he attacks the offensive glass, he's such a good finisher that I still don't think it's a matter of like my turn, your turn that we see with some teams. Like we kind of get that with like Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, right? Like there's a lot of my turn, your turn. um, And I don't necessarily think that's going to be the case with Brandon Ingram and Zion. Now in two years time, like who who has the ball down the stretch of games and things like that? Could that be a problem? Yes, absolutely. But I do think they will be able to complement each other. They'll figure it out. Yeah, I don't know. Well, we'll wait and see. Time will tell. Time will tell. Hopefully he doesn't load manage. Uh, let's talk about a guy who is definitely not load managing at all. Uh, Giannis Atatakumpo is going crazy. You guys are the numbers guys here on our NBA Global uh, team. Um, are, are we talking enough about what he is doing on a historical level? Because I feel like no one – he's already locked up the MVP. Yeah, it's like, it's, it's locked up. It's just just ship it to him in a, in a Louis V case that they you know. Look the at you getting the partners partners involved. Yeah, you know, I'm sliding them in a little bit. Um, I want a Louis V case, by the way. But Giannis is doing. I mean, he's doing everything he can to put the Bucks in a position. And I already said that I was wrong about the Bucks in terms of. I think that I was overlooking them, and I was doing what I hate that people do now in the NBA in disregarding the regular season and what your body of work is in the regular season because you're always like, oh, wait and see until the playoffs. This Bucks team is better than that Bucks team from a year ago. They are, and the East isn't as good as a whole. I don't think there's one team that f- puts fear into the Bucks like the Raptors would have a year ago or the Sixers might have gave them trouble a year ago. I think the Bucks are clearly going to the finals, even with Eric Bledsoe on the team. I'm man enough to say I was wrong. I'm, but, glad, I'm glad that you found the courage to admit yeah, that you were wrong. I, I'm, I'm stepping out on the limb. next week when new information becomes available. But I'm stepping out on the limb I saying that the Bucks are going saying to that you were wrong and that you've changed your opinion. I have. I have. I will say I'm pretty stubborn when it comes to this stuff. <laughs> even, if I, if, even if I know I'm wrong, I'm still going to back it up. But what, so, but what are we missing about the Bucks here? Because they are, they are killing teams, are, and Giannis is, is, is playing great basketball. They're absolutely destroying teams. And I think you know, you're right. Like the, There's never been a bigger gulf between regular season and playoff basketball. However... Right, you can't just you can't just mosey around for 82 games, show up in the playoffs, and then expect everything to start working. We, you, I, it is what it is. The body of work is, it is what it is. And and if you if you take I this one caught my eye yesterday. If you look at Milwaukee's biggest lead that they've had in every single game of the year, and then you average them out, they are on average leading by over 21 points in every game that they play. That's better than any of the Warriors teams with, with Steph and Clay and Durant. That's better than any team that LeBron's ever been on. Uh, it's the best by any team in the last two decades, which is as far as that goes back. That's incredible. That is, that is the mark of a just dominant team that steamrolls everybody. And I also think that 
you know, one guy, yeah, I, I actually do think we're talking about Giannis enough. I mean, he's having a all-time historic season. He's currently just obliterating the, the player efficiency record that, that Will Chamberlain has. But one guy that we're not talking about enough is Chris Middleton. Who he's gonna make the All Star? I I believe he's going to make the All Star team. Wow, this might be a come around podcast. It is a come around podcast because I used to kill Middleton. <laughs> I, I saw him. Uh, you know, we don't we don't need to go. We don't no, need no, to get no, into. No. Go ahead, go ahead, lay it out. He, my man, couldn't beat like Dwayne Bacon <laughs> off the dribble last year in a game in Charlotte. And I will always I will always remember like, come on, if you're gonna be an All Star, you got to be able to take right. Dwayne Bacon off the bounce. But Chris Middleton, I think most people view as Okay, he made the All-Star team last year because the Bucs needed a second guy. And he's going to make the All-Star team this year because the Bucs needed a second guy. And it's like he's an All-Star out of default. And I, I think that that's ridiculous. Like, the guy is basically averaging 50, 40, and 90. He's 89% from the line. While averaging 19.5 points a game. You know the only guys ever to score more in a 50, 40, 90 are Steph Curry, Larry Bird, Kevin Durant, Dirk Nowinski, and Carlin's boy, Reggie Miller. Hmm. That's it. And he's only, like, Giannis isn't playing a lot. Chris Middleton's only playing, like, 28 minutes a night, too. Like, Chris Middleton has been an absolute stud this year. This is not a he's going to be an all-star by default. This is not Mo Williams, uh, you know, with the, with the 2009 Cavaliers. Chris Middleton's been great, and he deserves a little bit more attention for, for the season he's having. Yeah, no question. I, I did not know that Middleton was putting up those type of numbers. I just assumed that Giannis is dominating, which he is. And the Bucks team as a whole has elevated because of just Giannis's improvement. But as Micah said, it's it's more than just Giannis. What do you, what do you see about the Bucks? You're you're a Bucks guy, so this is this is different for you. You've you've been on their bandwagon from day one. Yeah, I, I mean, I think one of the big things about them this year is so Steph when he won MVP. Um, let me pull this up. I just had it when he won MVP in 2014-15. Um, he played 32 minutes a game, which is the least amount. A player's played one MVP in NBA history. Giannis right now is playing 31 minutes a game, hmm. um, which is outrageous. And that speaks, like you guys are saying, how dominant he's been and how dominant they've been with him on the court. But they're also destroying teams when he's off the court. Um, and it goes beyond Middleton. Michael Pina wrote something interesting on uh, SB Nation today about how they have the best bench in the league. Um, and I mean, you look at the numbers, they're still they're outscoring um, teams by 15 points per 100 with Giannis on the court. They're still outscoring teams by eight points per 100 when he's on the bench. Um, I mean, you do the math, that's 18, that's about 17, 18 minutes a game. Um, and we talked about it, I want to say like a month ago when we were asking about, you know, which team would be better if you took Giannis off of it versus Luka. Um, and something we talked about is that even when Giannis isn't on the court, it's almost like they still play as though he is. Mm -hmm. You know, like the ball moves, everyone is cutting. They're just a really smart team. Um, and it's also a testament to Mike Budenholzer, who's, you know, he's had success in Atlanta. Um, he's completely changed this Bucks team over the last two years. Um, so, you know, although Giannis is clearly the MVP, the leader of MB MVP and everything like that, this team is more than just him. I'm glad, you, I'm glad that you brought up the they're great whenever he's not on the floor. Because I, I have some numbers here and that I think speaks to a comparison uh, uh, often made with this team that I just quite frankly think is wrong. So uh, the Bucks are outscoring teams by eight points per 100 possessions whenever he's off the floor. That right. alone would be like a mid-50 win, like a 54-win team. It's right? a playoff team. It's a playoff yeah. team. They're a playoff team if you take Giannis off the floor. Uh, that's significantly better than what they were last year. 
the comparison that I think gets thrown around a lot with these Bucks teams are the the Cavs teams with LeBron before he went to Miami. The 2008-09 Cavs that won 66 games were minus 8.1 per 100 whenever LeBron was off the floor. <laughs> the next year, the 2009-10 Cavs, minus 5.6 whenever LeBron was off the floor. Right. Those were simply bad teams outside of LeBron. LeBron made those teams great, and they, they were great teams. I know they, they didn't win, but they, they were great teams. They finished first in the East back-to-back years. This Bucks team, like you said, Scott, like – between Bledsoe and Middleton and Brooke Lopez and DiVincenzo has been great. They just have guys that make sense. They move the ball. And, like, look, there's, I think, it's a double-edged sword when you start leaning on benches because rotations shorten in the playoffs. Uh, got teams start playing their starters more minutes. I get all of that. But we also just saw a team win the NBA title last year with one megastar surrounded by just a bunch of really good dudes that knew how to play. And one of the hallmarks of last year's Raptors teams was, hey, like Kawhi's being load managed, but hey, they're 17 and five without him. They're a really good team whenever he's off the floor. And that's he sticking makes out them even go more now. Really good to great. So it's, yeah, exactly. So like in a weird way, this Bucks team kind of reminds me more of last year's Raptors team mm. than it does those Cavs teams uh, early on with LeBron. So something about that too, so sticking with the Raptors, two, I want to say it was two years ago when they had the best record in the East. Um, they had that bench mob. Yeah. That second unit when they just rolled out a, a five-man lineup of bench guys, and it, they destroyed basically every single team in the league when they were out there. And that was a huge reason why they were so good that season. The reason I think this Bucks team is different is because they're not necessarily doing that. Um, they're having success when Giannis is off the court, but in the playoffs, in theory, he's going to play more minutes, right? Sure. And they are so dominant in those minutes that more minutes for Giannis should just mean that they're a better team. And then if you have guys that you can fill in around him who are comfortable, know their role and everything like that, um, that depth will not be an issue uh, like it is for some teams, like those Raptors maybe from two years ago when they get used to that second unit and then they don't have as much success in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, Giannis right now, as you said, he's shattering player efficiency ratings, uh, records. If the season ended today, he'd have the highest PR of all time. Um, he's also you know, leading the league in usage. Uh, usage rate 39 37.9 three players including Giannis right now if the season ended today would have top 10 f- or usage rates in NBA history who are the other yeah. two it's Harden and Luca right yeah yeah killing it that's that's ridiculous They're, uh, and we, but, I mean and we haven't even talked about like the, just the fact that Giannis might be the best defensive player in the league he's not going to win defensive player of the year but I he's mean, all he, team defense at 100 yeah. percent he's first team all team defense I don't think anyone would lean the league in defensive for rating in a minute. So. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he's something else. I I don't know. You said we're talking to about him enough. I don't know if we are. I I really don't know if we are. Um, we're talking a lot about this guy, all for the wrong reasons. The Brody, my guy, Russell Westbrook. Uh, the Rockets picked up a big win, a much needed win to stop the bleeding because they had looked horrible the last week and a half. Uh, they they pounded the Denver Nuggets. Uh, at home, granted, Jamal Murray was not playing in that game. Uh, but now they embark on a four-game road trip. And to me, I think this is the most important part of their season. Uh, I think not just because of the road trip, and I think road trips tell you a lot about teams throughout the regular season, but because of the teams that they are playing on this road trip and the different styles of play that they'll have to see and adapt to on the road. Uh, so 
Is this an important part for the Rockets schedule or am I, am I overestimating things here? I think it is important. Um, the big thing that I, I'm interested in seeing, so the first, well, more than first half of the season, three quarters of the season was all about James Harden, right? Right. And how he's doing things that we've never seen before in terms of scoring and things like that. But so far this month, it's been kind of Russ who is carrying this team. Um, so since the turn of the new year, he's averaging 30 points, um, just under nine rebounds, eight assists, and he's shooting 52% from the field. He's been incredibly efficient. Um, he stopped shooting threes too. Well, so he didn't stop, but he... Well, so that's what I was going to get yeah. to. The interesting thing about him is that he's now only taking about three threes a game, still shooting 26%, but those attempts are way down. Um, and I think he went... The last three games, he's taken only one three. And I want to say that one three was at the end of that game against the Thunder when they needed a three to tie it. Right. So he basically didn't take a three that entire game as well. Um, and instead, he's driving relentlessly. So since the start of the new year, he's averaging just under 23 drives per game, which actually leads the league during that time frame. Mm-hmm. And he's shooting 60% on those opportunities. So one of the big things um, that I wrote a couple of weeks ago, heading into one of those Rockets and Thunder games was... The biggest thing for this Rockets team this season, we know teams are going to double James Harden, right? Sure. To take the ball out of his hands and then force Russell Westbrook to make a play. At the start of the season, he was shooting those threes and they just weren't going in. Whereas now he's kind of, he's not taking those shots and instead he's making moves to the basket. He's looking to score himself and kicking, kicking out to guys and things like that. I do wonder if they can win the NBA championship with Russell Westbrook as their number two. I still think that they would be much better off with a Chris Paul like that. Because I just don't know how long they, like if they're going to be able to do that against the best teams in the league. But to his credit, he is showing that he can adjust and doing the things that they need him to do. Um, so now they just need both of them to be firing all cylinders. And when they get to that point, if they do get to that point, we'll be able to see what this team so is capable of. It is tough for everybody to see that because of the record that they have right now. They're under 500 in the month of January. Ruth is playing great basketball. It's not turning out into wins. The one thing that I will say before Michael jumps in is – I don't know that they're a better team than they would with Chris Paul or Russell Westbrook just yet, but I know one thing that they're better in is, is getting easier looks when the playoffs come around. I could feel comfortable without even seeing a playoff game saying that I think Russell Westbrook will be able to get to the rim easier than Chris Paul did because that's just not Chris Paul's game. Like Russell Westbrook is a violent driver. He's an attacker of the rim. He's going to put that sort of pressure on you. Paul's more cerebral. He'll get to the mid-range and finish that way. I think when the threes aren't falling, they do finally have an option because they've never really had a post player when they've played with this style with D'Antoni other than Dwight Howard. And Dwight Howard's not no – he's not Hakeem Olajuwon in the post. He's not going to give you <laughs> – he's not going to give you back really to the basket. Really breaking news here on NBA <laughs> he's, he's more of a, a roller, just like Clint Capella. Capella's not a guy you could dump it down and say, go get me a bucket. Russell, they still don't have a guy like that on this team, but Russell Westbrook's the closest thing to that from a guard perspective where he can get to the basket and get you a layup when you haven't hit a three in the last six possessions. And he, so that's yeah. the only thing I could see that – that's the only argument I could see being made in that I could see the Rockets going a, or being a little tougher to beat with this lineup with, with Westbrook versus Chris Paul. I, so I'm of the belief that what we've seen the last two weeks and what we're going to see over these next four games – so this road trip – at Minnesota, at Denver, at Utah, at Portland, right? There's no Lakers in there. There's no Clippers in there. There's no Bucks in there. I don't know. I don't think that those are four big enough games that we really learn much of, much of anything either way. Now, if sure. they go zero and four, yeah, that would be them, that right? would be a problem. But even if they were to go like four and zero against that slate, I don't look at that as as a 
telltale that the back-to-back Denver and Utah's would be impressive, but I wouldn't look at that as a sign that anything is fundamentally different. I also, on the same token, don't look at the recent four-game losing streak as a sign that anything's fundamentally different either. I just think I think that this team, it just they are who they are. And if James Harden is going to shoot 18% from three over a four-game stretch, like they're just not going to win games. Like that for for better or worse, this team is only going to go as far as James Harden takes them, regardless of what Russell Westbrook does. Now they also need Westbrook to be great, and he has been great as we've talked about. But it, look, if James Harden is going to shoot 18% from three on 13 attempts a game, they're just going to lose games. It's as, it's as simple as that. So to me, it comes down to it's a, it's just a it's a fundamental question of this is what happens when you lean so heavily on one guy and then all of a sudden when that one guy is struggling and you're looking around at Eric Gordon and 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 just all the other pieces around there when other guys aren't able to then step up that's a byproduct of the manner in which you've spent the last two seasons plus playing is because guys have gotten so used to James doing everything and everything feeding off him that like when one guy when one piece falls down it's just it's he's sort of like the one pillar holding up the entire house right that that one pillar is gone then everything crumbles around because they they have not built any system that is able to survive without James Harden being extraordinary so to me like nothing happened has and they could still win the title playing that way like right. James Harden is that good i just i don't think anything that happened in the last week and a half, nor anything that happens in the next week, short of them going 0-4, uh, just I don't think anything has changed. Can they fix anything by the trade deadline? Or I mean, I know it's it's tough for them to make a trade given that they gave away all the draft picks to get Russ and the contracts that they have and, and probably, you know, they're gonna want to keep both Russ and Harden together. So is there something they could do with the trade deadline or something that they could do on the buyout market that might change your perspective on what this team could be? I, Micah, you just pulled up the salary. I don't have it in front of me. Um, I, my gut would say I don't think there's really a move to be made. Okay, let's, Eric Golden let comp- me rephrase my question. Is there, if they were looking to make a move, what would they be looking to add to their team to kind of help them a little? Like, what's the Band-Aid solution here? I know Russ is the band, like, he's the gauze, but what's the Band-Aid that you put over top of that? I mean, I think, as I was saying before, I think ideally you'd have a better number two next to James Harden than Russ. So outside of that, I'm not, I'm not sure what there is. Sure. I I don't think there is like even even if let's forget all the money on the cap sheet. Say they had the same one as Miami with all these pieces, and they mm-hmm. can and they can make moves and put together contracts to go get guys. Like unless like that's just the the fundamental way that they've built around James Harden and allow James Harden to play. Unless that changes, which I mean I don't see how that would ever happen in the middle of a season. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if it matters if they go out and and you know, swing for the fences and trade Russell Westbrook for five guys or trade Clint Capella and get some other pieces because I think they just they are who they are and this is sort of the like this is they they got to sleep in the bed that they made for themselves and it's a really good bed that they made for themselves. Like they they very easily could have won the NBA title playing like this the last two seasons. They just didn't, and sometimes you take swings and you just don't hit home runs, 
and I don't know. I, th- I just think they are who they are, and that just it, and that's just nothing has changed. Off the top of your head, do you think is there another team you can think of in NBA history that was so close, but yet so far, and we'll look back five years from now saying, "Man, that team really should have won a title," but they ran up against you know the, one of the greatest teams of all time, or uh, you know an injury to Chris Paul changes their their everything. I'll give you time to think about that. They're on they're on national TV. Five of their next six games, we're gonna hear a lot of Rockets yeah, talk yeah, we will. Uh, in the next little while. That that road trip I talked about starts in Minnesota, goes to Denver, Utah, and Portland. Uh, I I truly believe that's that's not only tough, but just the different styles that they're gonna have to see. The Utah defensive, Portland to get up and down, especially on the road. Uh, sorry, and and uh, and Denver, who who just runs up and down with that altitude. I, I think it's gonna be tough for them to to come away at four straight wins and that would be impressive to me if they're able to pull that out this is a little bit durant and westbrook right yeah i I, I just think like the game the game has fundamentally changed so much and today's era is just dominated so i mean you look up and down up and down the league we talked about Giannis. we talked about zion we talked about luka Doncic, like lebron Today's game is just predicated on having the one guy who does everything. Mm-hmm. Like even like you look back in the '90s and you're like, well, like you like John Stockton and Carl Malone never won anything. Well, that team moved the ball around like crazy. Like mm-hmm. see the Sonics with Gary Gary Payton and Sean Camp. Like I, I don't know. Like the 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 sorry, my James qu- Harden's star yeah, his, his... is so big and right. the role he plays is so massive. I'm not sure that you have that you can even go back. That far beyond again, maybe Durant and Westbrook after James Harden left Oklahoma City. Yeah, I, I probably phrased my question wrong. I meant as a team that was just so close, but yet so far from from winning the championship. But while you were talking, I, I and how you answer that made me think about Iverson Sixers. Like that's the only other team that where they depended on one guy. And just the rest of the team was just there, built around him, and they just would never be able to get yeah, over. This the Houston seems like a that. lot better than those. Sixers way better, way right. better. But the the league as a whole also is talentedly yeah, just yeah. just way better. Like 100%. the Sixers team, I don't know how they made the finals. But to wrap up on this, by the way, just just one last thing. Um, Harden's stats in wins and losses this season are pretty stark. So in wins, he's averaging forty point two points per game, shooting forty, rounding up forty eight percent from the field and forty one from three. In losses, he's averaging 30 points, so 10 less points per game, shooting 38% from the field and 25 from three. That's super alarming to me. So, that's, that's super. That is the one thing that I took away from last season with Nick watching Nick Nurse go through the season with the Raptors is he always maintained that you have to be even keel. You can't be, you can't be super high off losses, super low off losses. And if your leader is, is that high on a win and that low on a loss – and the chances of you winning a championship is just slim to none. Yeah. I, would you guys agree that the Lakers and Clippers are by far the, the two teams to beat, at least in the West? Yes. Yeah, sure. Milwaukee. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If the Rockets go into Denver and go into Utah and win both of them, they'll have the exact same record against teams 500 better as both the Lakers and the Clippers. Yeah. I don't think Houston's worried because I think, again, they know who they are, and this is just they're going to win away. They're either going to win or lose going – Playing like this, yeah. I just think that the problem is, is that they just get so high off the wins. Like they could go on a ten-game win streak where they don't miss from three, and then lose four straight, and we're wondering should they blow it up? Like that. There is just not, like the Clippers, for example. They they go out and win, you know, one game with their full lineup beating the Lakers. We see them a couple nights ago lose against the Atlanta Hawks. No one worries because they're just yeah. they're just 
Well, right so the, there, the guys are out. Yeah, I understand, game. but like um, the, the the highs aren't as high with the like with say Lakers lost to Boston. Yeah. They got blown out in Boston. No one is panicking or, or saying oh, this is just this is just. The There's way something that to be said about just consistency and steadiness day yeah. in day out, and even like just on court off the court. We don't even need to go into all the reasons why Houston has been just a soap opera yeah. for six months. Yeah. At some point, this the noise gets so loud that. I don't know. You, you feel like you're just in a straight jacket bouncing, bouncing off the walls. They're like the Sixers. One, one the Sixers other thing about the low. Rockets in this trip coming up, by the way, Eric Gordon only kind of recently came back from them. He missed a, chunk, a big chunk of mm-hmm. time to start the season. So I think, you know, he is their third scorer, right? Like he's their third guy after Harden and Westbrook who can create his own shot. He can knock down threes and things like that. So they need him to be back to sort of his six man of the year form that he was a couple of years ago. Sure. So that, that's another thing to watch in this road trip beyond, you know, how Russell Westbrook uh, continues fitting with Harden, and, and if Harden can kind of bounce back from this this little rough stretch for him. By the way, my my man Isaiah Hartenstein is playing a little bit of minutes, grabbing some rebounds. That's, your guy. That's, That's your my guy. guy. That's my guy. Uh, speaking of you guys and uh, our guys, um, your man, Coach of the Year candidate, oh my God. before the start of the season, Jim Boylan, head it's coach a, of the Chicago Bulls. It's a take that will live in. <laughs> <laughs> and this one is, is as well. Uh, called Luke Cornett the new Robert Ory. Scott, Luke Cornett's your guy. Look, I don't know what you think about Robert Ory. I don't know if you've even seen him play. Don't but, do that. Don't, uh, don't do me like that. What do you think about this? Uh, it's it's even being one of Luke Cornett's biggest fans. It is an outrageous take. It's, is there a Luke Cornett fan group? That I don't you know. Can join? I, I might be. There's the only a little one bit of a hive. There's a there's like a there's like a really? Twitter like an NBA Twitter like Luke Cornett secret like group out there. That's that's, that's all terrible. Sixers fans are pissed that they didn't trade for him. <laughs> what? what were they so that's like a thing. What that's like a trade? Real, no, it's just like that's like a thing. You sure that wasn't just Brian Colangelo? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Too soon. Lou Cornette, though, like the new yeah. Robert Ory. I I don't watch much Bills Bulls games. Uh, admittedly, uh, I saw actually a little a chunk of them yesterday while they were beating up on on my man Wiggy, um, and that's how I heard this. And Stacey King, who's their color analyst, was in tears when he heard it. And he works for the team. You're a Luke Cornette guy. Where's the correlation between him and Rob Rory? A, a big who can shoot threes? <laughs> Is that? But, I mean, Luke Cornette's shooting uh, 28% on threes this season. So it's not exactly a, a great – I mean, he's been better lately. <laughs> I just saw what you pulled up on your laptop, Mike. <laughs> I think I just need to give the floor to you. Just go ahead. No, I just – like, I, I love that the, the juxtaposition <laughs> of it being such a ridiculous comp – comparison that <laughs> Stacy King like can't hold it together reminds me of the all-time uh Homer comparison oh boy Tommy Heinsohn once called Greg Steams uh b- diet Bill Russell <laughs> and like did it with a straight face and it would I mean if, if you watch Celtics games Greg's, and listen to Tommy Greg's, on league pass Greg um, you know you know oh, Tommy Heinsohn like gets a little carried away with the stealth What's what's Greg Greg Steams uh is closer to Bill Russell than Luke Cornette is to Robert Ory wow Ooh. I don't wow. know about that. Okay, take. I don't either. Yeah, I, I just wanted to, I just wanted to, I want to make sure you guys are listening. I don't. I, first of all, I do not believe that. So, uh. <laughs> um, it, 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 what kills me the most is that Tom Heidenson, who is like we said, he's the biggest homer of all time, and in terms of league pass commentators, and that's a there's a big bar there because like the Heat guys are super homers. Uh, he used to do national TV games like in our lifetime. 
Maybe I, not yours, I Scott, do. but me and Micah's lifetime. He was on. He was a CBS lead commentator before UV Round took over. Tommy's great. I yeah. love Tommy. The Celtic <laughs> Lakers series. He did love all the Celtic Lakers series, and he was <laughs> his biggest homer of all I don't time. Wanna, I don't want. I don't want this to turn, turn into uh, Tommy Heinsohn. Uh, oh, I'm not Tommy killing Hines them. Now. I just love it. I just love the fact that he uh, he yeah. was able to get away with that. All right, let's get into shoutouts. We do this at the end of every single podcast. Shoutouts to something that we think more people should be paying attention to. Uh, who wants to go first? All, all, I want to end the end the podcast uh, with someone that we probably should have started it with. It, is it the most San Antonio Spurs thing ever that they win a game on national TV that their starting big goes for thirty two and fifteen, and like nobody even cares that they won this massively important? It is the most Spurs thing ever to win a game against the team they're competing with for the eighth yeah. seed, and then nobody talks about it because they lost to a 19-year-old who got hot for three minutes. Yeah. So shout-out to the San Antonio Spurs for getting it done, uh, for just Spurs being Spurs. Spurs right now, at the time of recording this, on a three-game winning streak. They sit in the eighth seed. They overtook the Grizzlies, who lost in Boston uh, on the very same night for that eighth seed in I, the Western Conference. By the way, I so I think that New Orleans did the right thing in pulling Zion out of that game. You can't get swept up in the moment. They have far too much long-term riding on it. It will be interesting if at the end of the season That's gonna cost them. San Antonio like wins a tiebreaker and one game is a difference and you look back at that game as man, had they played Zion four more minutes, mm-hmm. we're talking about uh, the Spurs finally missing playoffs for the first time in two decades and potentially missing out on a Zion-LeBron first-round series uh, because he, they, they pulled him out, which, I again, it was the right decision. Yeah. I, just th- I, th- I think that we shouldn't forget this when two months from now we're talking about uh, potentially one game being all the difference. Loki, I don't think Zion had that extra five minutes in him. He was gassed. He, I mean, the man was gassed. He was a little tired. He's tired. Go ahead, Scott. Uh... Norman Powell's been playing great lately for the Raptors. Yes, he has. Um, he missed 11 games with a shoulder injury. And since then, he's been on fire. He had um, five straight games in which he scored 20 or more points. That's the longest streak of his career. He scored 18 points uh, against the Sixers and had a huge fourth quarter in that game. So he's averaging 22.7 points since coming back from that injury, shooting 58% from the field, 49 from three. Not that he's going to sustain that for the rest of the season, but Norman Powell has really become, over the last, even before his injury, he was playing well, but he's really become this season the player that the Raptors have always wanted to be, him to be. The big knock on him coming into the season was just inconsistency. It seems like he has a huge game and then he plays badly the next couple games. His shot doesn't fall. He, he's not quite locked in defensively. Um, but he's just been in attack mode lately especially. Um, and if they can continue to get this sort of production from him off the bench... Um, it just adds another layer to this Raptors team. I'm going the other way, guys. Normally, oh this is a uh, spot where we shout people out for doing good things. Going the other way. Who are you going to kill? Be Sacramento Bee has an article out uh, by Jason Anderson, who uh, spoke to one Marvin Bagley down in Miami. Uh, and the title is Rock With Me, King Center Marvin Bagley III, unfazed by Luka Doncic comparisons. In the article, Marvin Bagley says, and I'm paraphrasing, uh, basically that you know people are going to say what they want to say. Uh, he's not concerned about the Luca p- comparisons. He just wants everyone to keep that same energy when the Kings finally turn it around. 
Kings are currently, as we record this right now, on a six-game losing streak. They are six and a half games out of eighth in the Western Conference. Marvin Bagley, who struggled to stay on the floor this season, has played 13 games. 13 games. In those 13 games that he's played, the Sacramento Kings have a 2-11 record. Marvin Bagley. Yeah. Shut your mouth. You're keeping the energy. I like this. this I'm keeping great. this energy. Marvin Bagley, could, he's not turning anything around. He's always going to be worse than Luka Doncic. He's always going to be worse than Trey Young. And if you're a Sacramento King fan, you are bashing your head against the wall every single day knowing that you had an opportunity to draft either Luka Doncic or Trey Young. Or anyone else. Wow. Other than Marvin this Bagley. This is great. Bring the heat. Marvin Bagley, drink some milk. And also, when you play, at least contribute to winning. 2-11 and 11 when you play for the Sacramento Kings. And you're your talking about right keep that same energy. Man, you, you pearly whites are going oh, year to year. Oh, man. Come you on, can, Marvin. You, be okay? you, can't, you can't do that. Marvin, buddy, you can't be serious, though. It's not a good look. Keep that same energy. All right. For Scott Rafferty. Mike Adams. You all keep your same energy out there. I'm Carlin Gay. Could have been anywhere in the world, but you're here with us and we appreciate it. Listen to NBA Sound System. Thank you.